The following program is a PBS Wisconsin original production. To improve the services that Wisconsinites receive and make sure that the money that they have overpaid is returned back to the taxpayers. And that's been the two priorities of this entire budget. Republicans take a victory lap after passing the state budget through both chambers. And just as the UW system's funding is cut over its diversity offices, affirmative action in college admissions is struck down by the U.S. Supreme Court. I'm Frederica Freiberg. Tonight on Here and Now, former governor and UW system president Tommy Thompson shares his vision for higher education. Charles Franklin has results from his latest Marquette Law School poll and we'll get political takes on budget action at the Capitol from panelists Bill McCoshin and Scott Ross. It's Here and Now for June 3rd. Funding for Here and Now is provided by the Focus Fund for Journalism and Friends of PBS Wisconsin. The nearly $99 billion biennial state budget finished its journey through the Senate and Assembly this week, passing along party lines, and now heads to the governor's desk, where he has promised an abundance of partial vetoes if he doesn't veto the budget in full. Republicans heralded the tax cuts as a triumph, while Democrats assailed them. I am incredibly proud of the document that's being presented today. It focuses on the priorities that we heard and we know Wisconsinites want. That's a budget that's right-sized for the state, ensuring that we can afford it for the long term, making sure that we invest in our priorities, everything from police and fire to ensuring that we have uh, great schools uh, all across the state, and then ultimately returning a significant chunk, almost half of the dollars that were overtaken from the citizens of Wisconsin back to them in income and property tax cuts. Today I urge my GOP colleagues to provide targeted tax relief to the middle class families and Main Street businesses who are the backbone of the state of Wisconsin. Every Wisconsinite should know that Republicans are choosing to give our state's top 11 earners $20 million in tax cuts. The U.S. Supreme Court this week called affirmative action or consideration of a person's race in college admissions unconstitutional for violating the Equal Protection Clause. Affirmative action policies have existed since the 1960s and consider a person's minority race status to help counteract historical inequality and discrimination. The UW-Madison Chancellor Jennifer Mnuchin released a statement saying, quote, the ruling will require some modifications to aspects of our current admissions practices. We will, of course, adapt our practices to comply with the law. At the same time, I want to reiterate that our commitment to the value of diversity within our community, including racial diversity, remains a bedrock value of the institution. Hundreds of millions of dollars in the state budget go to higher education, and with little coordination between the UW and technical college systems, we are now at a crossroads. That's according to Tommy Thompson, former governor and former UW system president. He joins me now, and thanks very much for being here. Enrique, it's a pleasure to be with you. It always is, and I, I love your program. I love what, what you do, and uh, thank you very much for having me on your program. Thank you. So with 13 two-year UW, UW campuses and 16 main technical colleges in Wisconsin. What are the inefficiencies in that? 
Well, that's only part of the problem, what you've just outlined. When you take a look at the University of Wisconsin, it's got 13 campuses, but it also has 13 two-year campuses, right. so it's got 26. And the vocational school's got 16 main campuses, but 54 other branch campuses. So you put them all together, you've got 80 institutions, 80 places out there that teach higher education and vocational education. There's no cooperation. There's really no consideration of one to the other. They have two different systems. One is funded by the taxpayers of the state, one is funded by the property taxpayers. And the coordination is very small. And the fact of the matter is, is the population is going down. And then by 2026 is a cliff. And nobody is planning. What are we gonna do? And that's what I've been advocating for some time. There needs to be a blue ribbon task force to study, study all this because we've got overduplication. We've got too many buildings, too much education for the amount of students we have. And we need to do something about it. Better to do it now in an impartial and systematic, smart way than waiting until 2026 and say, oh my Lord, what do we do? Well, the writing has been on the wall yes, for yes. years in terms of these demographic shifts in enrollment. Um, now West Bend wants to consolidate UW-Washington County and Moraine Park Tech College. Is it your sense the rest of the two years, uh, two-year UW campuses should merge with tech campuses? Not necessarily, but they should come together and decide which one is the strongest. One should be a tech school, maybe. They should be all community colleges, I think. I think they should come together, be community colleges, and teach both vocational education and baccalaureate degrees, and allow the students to be able to choose the best course for themselves and get more students to graduate. It's sort of a deplorable record to get all these students into college and they don't finish, both at the university and even more so at the vocational education. Does that make any sense? It doesn't make any sense to me. And it doesn't help the students, it doesn't help the workers' productivity or the workers' graduation rates in the state of Wisconsin. And that's what I've been saying for so long. We got overduplication. We have some vocational schools and two-year campuses sharing the same parking lot, the same, the same classrooms, and yet they have two different systems. Does that make any sense to anybody when the declining population and both systems are, are vying for that student? Why don't we put all of these into a community college and put them in and decide how many we really need. What about the kind of localized sense of pride and ownership of having a UW campus for students who can go on to get their four-year degree at the corresponding campus? It's wonderful. It's wonderful. The problem is you can't afford it. And that's what's happened in Richland Center. Richland Center is being closed down. Now the county of Richland which is a poor county, it's got to take care of the buildings and they're not going to have classes next year. And so the people in Richmond Center are very upset. But you have a vocational school at Finnemore which is doing very well. Wouldn't it make sense, I mean, just common sense to say, why don't they two to come together and have courses so that the students can go and have some courses at the Richmond Center so those buildings are being utilized and make those both into a community college. <laughs> down in West Bend. They had the university is declining in population, but the vocational school is doing well. And so Josh Shaneman, the county exec, came up with a brilliant idea. 
Let's see what we can do, study and put them together. That's what has to happen. But we should be doing this statewide. We shouldn't wait till this cataclysmic uh, decline that's coming in 2026. And everybody is saying, why didn't we do something? Time is now. It was yesterday, but today let's get started and not waste any more time. So what, what do you think of uh, the legislative budget writers um, cutting $32 million from the UW in targeting its diversity, equity, and inclusion offices? Well, I think, you know, that when you take a look at the affirmative action opinion that came out of the Supreme Court uh, this week, it's obvious that, uh, that maybe the university has got to come to grips with the fact that uh, they're going to have to work with the legislature. I'm not saying one side is right and the other side is wrong, but I'm saying cooperation and leadership and discussion is what is needed. And I don't think there's enough of that. As the former president of the system, what do you think of the value of those uh, DEI offices? Uh, I, I, when you look at how many, I think that uh, I think the university has uh, has gone is got probably too many positions, and uh, I think the legislature is saying yes, you got too many positions, and you've got to be taking care of the students in Wisconsin as well. We got to make sure that the university is well funded. We got to make sure that the university is able to recruit en enough students. We got to make sure the university is planning ahead and looking at these problems and finding ways to you know, to solve them. And they got to learn to work with the legislature. Who do you think should take the charge? I think it's got to be the Board of Regents, the President, and the Governor. They're the ones that have the authority to, to set it up and make, a, make an independent study. I think we should go to sit down with the vocational school and, and the University of Wisconsin two-year campuses and come up with ways on how we could turn them into community colleges. And be able to, you know, be able to meet the needs of Wisconsin. Wisconsin has got to have more graduates, and more students prepared to work, more students educated in the in the jobs that we have and are growing. Wisconsin is growing, and we don't have the expertise really to pilot the the programs and the jobs that are out there. Tommy Thompson, thanks very much. My pleasure. You can watch our full-length interview with Tommy Thompson by visiting our website at pbswisconsin.org news. Turning to elections, the job security of the administrator of the Wisconsin Elections Commission is uncertain as officials deliberate the fine print of her appointment. Megan Wolf's four-year tenure has weathered the chaos of holding elections amidst a pandemic and numerous court cases alleging voter fraud in the 2020 presidential election, but is now in the crosshairs for Senate Republicans who typically approve nominees for the job. In a procedural move this week, the Wisconsin Elections Commission voted on Wolf's reappointment. The commission's three Republicans voted in favor, but the three Democrats abstained, saying Wolf doesn't need to be reappointed. She should maintain her current role until there is a vacancy. Thank you to the commissioners for their kind words and their unanimous uh, their unanimous support for my job performance today. Um, I was so impressed by the commissioners 
um, integrity and willing to stand up for the truth about elections, to set the record straight about our process and how the commission works and how our decisions, the commission's decisions, which I don't have a vote on, how they're made deliberated as part of a public meeting. I think the statutory law regarding the WEC is crystal clear, as clear as it can be. Um, I also, I guess I'm a battered veteran of, I don't know how many court cases since being appointed in 2016. Um, so someone's going to sue us, they're going to sue us, and that will we'll see how that shakes out. But I feel very confident in our interpretation of the law. I'm very concerned that now we are leaving uh, the job of the administrator in the hands of a circuit court judge or a court of appeals of the Supreme Court. Um, and uh, her position could be in jeopardy on a moment's notice. And I don't think that's good for the staff. I don't think it's good for the administration of elections in Wisconsin. With election 2024 already heating up, the latest statewide polling on candidates, sitting politicians, and issues takes the public temperature in Wisconsin. The new Marquette University Law School poll finds some interesting results. Here to talk about it, poll director Charles Franklin. Thanks very much for being here. Good to be here. So Governor Tony Evers' approval rating jump is interesting. It, uh, it's quite a jump. Yeah, sorry. Your survey found that 57% of respondents approve of the job he's doing, while 39% disapprove. And his approval rating has gone up 11 points since just before the last election. What in your mind explains this? I think there are two things. One is just before the election, of course, you're in the heat of an electoral battle, and so that tends to push down the approval numbers. But then he won that race by over three percentage points. And I think during the spring has had a pretty good legislative session. He certainly hadn't gotten most of what he wanted, but he's gotten a fair bit of what he wanted. So I think the spring has been fairly good. It's also striking that he's the one person that's really had this substantial rise in approval since October. Other rises are much more modest, so I do think we have to give some credit to him. On the other hand, your poll shows that 57% think the state is on the wrong track, 40% saying it's going in the right direction, but could that be something other than Tony Evers? I think what we're really seeing is that used to be a measure of how good a job the incumbent's doing. Mm -hmm. But now, if you're a Democrat, you blame Republicans for why we're headed off in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. If you're a Republican, you blame the Democrats for the same thing. And so there's a lot of across the aisle pointing. We see that in the national numbers as well as the state numbers. We keep asking the question, but it really doesn't seem to mean what it used to mean hmm. about whether things are good or bad. Interesting. So in the uh, GOP presidential primary, uh, among Republicans and those who lean Republican, when accounting for all of the GOP candidates out there, it's even between Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis, 31% to 30%, but with 21% undecided, that seems like a big number. But when you asked who they would pick if it were only between those two, 57% chose DeSantis, over 41% for Trump. What do all these numbers say? Well, first of all, it's really surprising because in national polling, Trump is leading DeSantis by at least double digits. 
And that's been pretty consistent, including in our national polling. So I was surprised by that number. But what we see is that of the people that would like somebody other than DeSantis or Trump or are undecided, they go 65 to 75 percent to DeSantis when you ask the head-to-head -head question. Only about a quarter of them move to Trump. So Trump is getting a lot of support from his base within the party. But of the 30 percent of Republicans that don't like Trump, he got zero percent on the head-to-head -head question. And so it's not, you know, those that like him still like him quite a bit. But there is this segment, a minority of 30 percent, that really don't like Trump and are looking for any alternative. So as for either of the two front-running Republican primary candidates for president, your poll showed a close matchup between Joe Biden and Ron DeSantis. 49% for Biden, 47% for DeSantis, with 4% undecided. Uh, in, the, in the hypothetical matchup between Biden, uh, he does much better against Trump, 52% to 43%. So as a candidate, Donald Trump has some work to do in this important swing state? Yes, I think that is certainly the case, and it goes partly to the electability argument. It also goes to the fact that Trump is still getting 94 or 95% of the Republican vote when he's matched up against Biden. DeSantis gets almost exactly the same Republican support there. So it's not Republicans deserting Trump. Trump at all. What it is is the independents who lean a little bit to Biden versus DeSantis, but move heavily to Biden when it's Trump as the alternative. And what we're seeing is the difficulty of winning your primary with a lot of true believers, but then moving on to a general election and you need to appeal to independents. And at least this month in this sample, Trump is doing noticeably worse with independence than DeSantis is. Remember, we are in the field the day and following the indictment of Trump. Didn't hurt him with Republicans, but it may be that that's part of what's going on with these independents yeah. and looking ahead to yeah. the general. Interesting context. So as for sitting U.S. Senator Tammy Baldwin, also up for re-election, her favorability rating ticked up three points from last October, now sitting at 40 percent favorable, 37 percent unfavorable. But 22 percent have not heard enough about her. Uh, she must still be formidable, though, because nobody has jumped out to formally declare against her. That's right. And that 22 percent is sort of in line with where she has been for the last two or three years. Uh, Ron Johnson is usually in the 30s, though mm -hmm. when elections come, you get that number down to maybe 10 percent mm -hmm. that say they don't know enough. So it's a big election effect. When we asked about four potential Republican challengers, between 50 and 85 percent didn't know enough about any of yeah. those. And that just shows that until somebody officially gets in and the race starts to heat up and they're campaigning, no challenger is going to look very good on the name recognition side. And in perspective, Baldwin has a little advantage of being well known, but the challengers, when they do get in, will build recognition over the next 18 months. All right. Charles Franklin, thanks very much for your work. Thank you. As always, there's a lot going on in Wisconsin, from politics to policy. So tonight, we check in with our political panelists, Republican Bill McCaushin and Democrat Scott Ross. And thanks very much for being here, both. Thanks for having us. So first off, uh, what is your broad take on the legislature's state budget just passed and awaiting uh, the governor's action? Is it what you expected with a $7 billion 
surplus? First no, I think it's a $7 billion wasted opportunity by Republicans to support things that are going to help the people of Wisconsin, men, women, children, thrive and excel. You know, we missed the opportunity to end the criminal abortion ban. We're ga gashing the UW system. We're not fully funding public education. We're, and let's just talk about child care. We've got child care. There was an opportunity to provide real child care, but instead we're giving a tax break to the top 1%. 25,000 people are getting the $300 million that could have otherwise prevented 2,500 child care facilities from closing over the next couple of years. It's just shameful. Bill, your comment? I think your viewers should be really excited about this budget. This is the first budget in divided government. This is Tony Evers' third budget with Republicans in the majority where they have grand bargains on some key issues that voters care about. Let's go through those. Shared revenue, historic increase in funding to local government agreement, K-12 and charter and choice schools, historic investments in both of those. So all kids benefit regardless of which choice their parents make for their education. Housing, $500 million to increase the housing stock, not only in the urban areas, but in the rural areas as well. And that's a workforce development issue. Literacy, transportation, in, uh, pay raises for state employees, all of those things they agreed on, Fred. That's the first time that's happened in the last three budgets. So I think there's a lot to be really excited about in this budget. What do you think about what the governor might do? Well, I actually talked to somebody high up the, today from over in the East Wing, and they said the chances of vetoing the entire budget are 50-50. If not, it's going to be a historic number of, uh, of, of uh, line-item vetoes. They're going to line-item as much as you know, humanly possible, as the governor has already stated. And I think with good reason, because we've missed so many opportunities. We're handing out too much money to rich people, and we're not investing in people the way we could. What well, would he be vetoing it over? I think, you know, the tax plan in particular. I mean, you just see how much money they are wasting. I mean, again, that top 1% is, you know, genera is taking away 300 plus billion dollars. If you get rid of that top rate, it's 700 million dollars that's being lost that could be invested in things He's like childcare. Three choices. Education. Sign it in total. He won't do that. Veto it completely. I don't think that's realistic. Or partial vetoes. I think that is realistic. Lots His staff has indicated that you know, he will use it as, hum as much as humanly possible. The reason he won't veto the whole bill is the, the agreements that I just walked through, all the funding for them is yeah. still in this bill. Yeah. So the likelihood of the governor getting a better deal the second time around is zero. So Tommy Thompson told us uh, that the Supreme Court decision on affirmative action in college admissions basically bolsters the Republican legislature's budget decision to eliminate UWDEI offices. But what's next in the realm of kind of abandoning diversity and inclusion initiatives in Wisconsin? I don't think we're abandoning it, but I think it, maybe finally we're going to put the focus where it belongs, which is on urban schools. I mean, if you want to give African-American kids a better opportunity, you got to teach them how to read. When 20% of African-Americans can read at grade level and 80% can't, that 80% is never going to make it to college. They're more likely to end up in prison. That's got to be the focus here, is making sure that our urban schools are delivering the kind of education those kids need. And the, the truth is, the ones who suffered the most under the affirmative action were Asian Americans, not whites. Scott? I think that it's just disgraceful what the Supreme Court, and I think it's disgraceful what the Republican legislature is trying to do. Again, diversity is what makes 
Wisconsin, what makes the University of Wisconsin great, and stymieing that because you think it plays to your racist base is not the way we should go. And I'll just say this, you know, $34 million cut out of UW. So a student who graduated from uh, the University of Minnesota it gets to walk after four years across the aisle. A student at the University of Wisconsin going to have to stay five years because they can't get what they need to graduate in four years as a result we, of these cuts. We have these programs today, DEI, across the campuses. Yes. My son graduated from Madison in May. I was at the graduation ceremony. Fewer than 200 African Americans crossed the stage out of eight Again, that's number. why we have to double down on diversity, not take it back. And we you know, what, focus what, earlier. The, what the Supreme Court did was disgraceful, and this probably was the worst week for the Supreme Court other than in 1896 when they did separate but equal with Plessy versus Ferguson. Speaking of the Supreme Court, they obviously um, turned back Joe Biden's action to cancel up to $20,000 in student loan debt. What are the implications of this for those who hold such debt? I know this is a big issue for you, Scott. Well, I just say this. I don't understand how providing Robin Voss with a $300,000 forgiven PPP loan, he's a multimillionaire, we forgave his loan, the entirety of it, how that helps the economy, but forgiving $10,000 for nearly a million student loan borrowers who are going to put that money back in the economy helps our economy. It just doesn't make any sense. And the people who, f who financed the, the lawsuit actually got a $135,000 PPP loan. It's hypocrisy across the board. What about that comparison? I'm the seventh of eight kids that Pat and Marie McCaution had. The notion that I would go to a Big Ten school and get a degree was, was unthinkable when I was a kid, yet it happened. Why? I invested in myself. I took out student loans. I paid those back. I viewed it as an investment in myself. And I, I shouldn't have to pay for someone else who, sa who made that same choice. That's the argument. Look, Bill, we spent, we spent the money. We used to invest 10 cents of every GPR dollar into higher education in the state of Wisconsin. It's now down to two and a half cents. We have stopped financing higher education and put the burden on students. I paid student debt for 26 years. I support forgiving every penny of student loan debt and make public college and universities free. I only have about a minute left, and I want to ask you about the Marquette Law School poll uh, that showed that 66% of people surveyed in Wisconsin think abortion should be legal in all or most cases. How will this issue continue to inform the upcoming elections? The Supreme Court of Wisconsin is going to have a big say in that, whether or not the 1849 law is the law of the land or something that was passed subsequent to that. Uh, so we will see. But if you look closely at those crosstabs, people don't like abortion up till the time of birth. And there are a lot of folks that don't that don't support any abortion at any time. Nobody's having abortions up to the point of birth. But I do agree with Bill. It's going to be a huge issue. I think it's going to rain huge in the legislative races. It's going to rain huge in congressional races. And Democrats are on the right side of history. The lesson from the poll is Republicans, if they acted a little bit more like Democrats and supported those issues, they might stop losing statewide elections. We need to leave it there. Bill McCosh and Scott Ross, thanks very much. Good to be here. For more on this and other issues facing Wisconsin, visit our website at pbswisconsin.org and then click on the News tab. That's our program for tonight. I'm Frederica Freiberg. Have a good weekend. Funding for Here and Now is provided by the Focus Fund for Journalism and friends of PBS Wisconsin.